Pastor Chris's podcast. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Today I want to speak on the subject of how Christians can live in a world that is hostile to God and God's people. The main scripture for this lesson will be Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 20. This passage is from the Old Testament. It took place 605 years before Christ, but I think it has quite a lot to offer for us in our times today. Daniel chapter 1 verses 1 through 20. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took, from, took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah, the, uh, Judah's royal family, and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude 
for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The name Babylon is synonymous for many people with decadence and immorality. Revelation 17 verse 5 says, Babylon the great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. When we think of an evil city today, many people conjure the name Babylon. Babylon was actually an ancient city and part of a great civilization and a great empire. In Daniel's world, Babylon was the superpower that controlled most of the known world. If we're honest, and if we're historically accurate, we would compare ancient Babylon to modern America. Babylon gave a lot to the world of its day. They brought peace and stability and prosperity. So long as the people they had conquered gave their allegiance to the king of Babylon. Now, of course, there were many people who did not like being under the authority and the rule of the king of Babylon. Those who didn't get with the program, those who uh, rebelled against the king of Babylon would suffer. They would not enjoy the benefits of the empire. And even worse, if they were rebellious enough as were the people of Israel, then their land would be conquered and they could be dragged off into exile or executed. And that is why Daniel and his friends found themselves in Babylon. Their king in Israel, Jehoiakim, would not go along with the king of Babylon, would not remain faithful to his treaty with him. And therefore, the king of Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem and took captives back to Babylon. Well, in our day and age, no country in our time has greater influence in the world than America. American power and influence brings peace, stability, and prosperity around the globe whenever people are willing to cooperate with our nation. Of course, there are oftentimes people in different parts of the world who resent America's prosperity and power, and to varying degrees, they do not cooperate with our nation uh, or even actively fight against us. Those people... Uh, do not enjoy the benefits of being in partnership with our great nation. And so I think of Daniel in this story, and I think that this story has much to say to Christians in America today. So I hope you will listen 
carefully. Daniel and his friends were living in Babylon. They had no choice in the matter, but they wanted to be faithful to God. They were willing to cooperate with Babylon so long as it didn't contradict their duty to God. They didn't want to eat meat served in Babylon's royal palace for good reason. We don't think of meat the way the ancients did. We just go to the grocery store and we get some hamburgers or some hot dogs and have a barbecue. In the ancient world, almost every people, when they ate meat, it was because it had been sacrificed. So we read about this in the Old Testament. And the Israelites would bring a goat or a sheep or a bull. They would take it to the temple and sacrifice it to Yahweh, the God of, the, uh, of Israel. And then the priest would eat it and so would the people who brought the sacrifice. But it was a sacrifice. And this was the way people ate meat in most of the ancient world at the time that this passage was written. In Babylon, though they didn't sacrifice their animals to the God of Israel, they sacrificed to all of the different Babylonian gods. And so for Daniel and his friends to eat meat in the Babylonian king's court meant that they would be eating meat that had been sacrificed to false gods by their way of thinking. They did not want to dishonor God in that way. They wanted to be faithful to the God of Israel. Even if they were going to serve the king of Babylon in whatever ways they could, they didn't want to eat meat that had been sacrificed to false gods. And so they said, can we just eat vegetables? Because people didn't sacrifice vegetables to their gods. But the, the official in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace was afraid, even though he liked Daniel and his friends, he was afraid to let them only eat vegetables because the king had said, I want you to feed these, these uh, trainees the very best food so that they can be healthy and strong. But if you just feed them these, but if he just fed them vegetables, how would they be able to compare to these others? But Daniel and his friends believed that God could provide that even if they only ate vegetables and drank water, God could nourish them. And they said, just test it out for 10 days. And after 10 days, they looked better than the others who were eating the king's royal food. And after three years, they were so much better than the others because God took care of them and provided for them. Daniel and his friends wanted to be faithful to God. Christians in the early Roman Empire had a similar problem as Daniel and his friends. And it was not only with meat, because meat in the Roman Empire was also sacrificed to Roman gods. So they had to navigate those issues. And you can read about some of the ways that they coped with those ideas in the New Testament. But they also had to cope with other common practices in daily life, living in a pagan world. All kinds of evil, detestable behaviors were common practice in the various provinces of the Roman Empire. For instance, there was infanticide, where if a family had a child that they did not want 
Maybe they wanted to have a boy, but a girl was born. Or maybe the child had some kind of deformity of some form or another. They didn't want the child. They could simply throw the child away. This was common practice in the Roman Empire. It was what everybody did. The child would simply be left out in the streets as an infant until nature took its course and the child died. Or worse, somebody came along and took the child and put it into slavery or into prostitution or something of that sort. It's a horrid thing, horrible thing for us to think about. How could anybody do that? But that was common practice in the Roman Empire. Along with other things like worshiping idols and practicing sorcery where you would use dark magic to try to put a curse on someone or to get your way through dark magic. And of course, sexual immorality was rampant in the Roman Empire. Whether it was prostitution or orgies or adultery, polygamy, homosexuality, all kinds of sexual immorality were prevalent and common in the Roman Empire. And Christians were a tiny minority in a very pagan Roman world. Christians constantly had to wrestle with the dilemma of how to get along in a pagan world without condoning or participating in the immoral behaviors of the world that was incompatible with Christianity. They had to walk that delicate line between getting along with their pagan neighbors while remaining faithful to Jesus Christ in hopes that their pagan neighbors would also come along and know Christ as Savior and Lord. Furthermore, many of these early Christians had started out as pagans. They had practiced all of these despicable things. They didn't think anything of it. But then Christ came and said, leave these, this way of living behind and come and follow me. And live the way I teach you to live. And so many Christians who started out as pagans had left those things behind and were now following, Christ, following Christ and his way of living. But they still had friends and family and neighbors who were pagan. And they had to learn how do you go to Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas? How do you go and work in your, uh, you know, at your company with all of these pagans who are doing all of these things that you no longer want to do. Sound familiar? We live in 21st century America. And though America was overwhelmingly founded by people with deep Christian values, our culture today is increasingly hostile to Christianity and Christian values. And it takes great wisdom and knowledge of scripture and delicacy for Christians to navigate our modern Babylon. And it is quite easy for Christians today to falter in a number of different ways. But I will, remember, I will mention two today because they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. One way that Christians can falter is to somehow mistakenly think that all Jesus cares about is America. And that Jesus and God love 
Americans more than other people in the world. And you can elevate this to a status where, where Jesus is, is, is like this picture in the, on the screen. He's wearing a, a Donald Trump MAGA cap because he just loves Donald Trump and is going to do whatever he takes to, to make him in charge. Or any, it could be any other person. It doesn't have to be Donald Trump. But the idea that somehow God's most important concern is what happens in America. Forgetting the fact that there are Christians that live in China and Pakistan and Russia and Ukraine. There are Christians all over the world. Are Christians in America any more important than Christians anywhere else? God loves us all. Furthermore, God loves all people and wants all people to come to know him. America is not God's chosen people. America is a great country. But it's not about America. When we sing the song, I can't help but think about when we sing that song, Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun. Nobody's going to care about what happened in America. It's not about America. America's not going to be here forever. That's a hard truth to swallow, but it is the truth. But that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is secular paganism, where people in our society just feel like you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter if it's immoral according to God's values. You can live however you want and you can just do whatever seems right in your own eyes. And so on both ends of the spectrum, Christians have to be careful that they don't fall into those traps. I want you to notice something important about Daniel and his friends. They found that middle road. That where they were able to remain faithful to God but also be cooperative in living in a place that was not reflective of their personal values. I want you to notice too that they were not mean-spirited. Daniel didn't go uh, acting all high and mighty. He was working for the king of Babylon. He served the king of Babylon. He actually cooperated. He helped Babylon be more successful by offering his services. And yet Daniel and his friends were also careful and tactfully avoided sinning against God by participating in Babylonian behaviors that they felt were off limits for God's people. Christians in first century Roman Empire also learned the art of living gracefully among their pagan neighbors. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy at all. Sometimes they were severely persecuted for being so different and refusing to be like everyone else. And Christians were a convenient scapegoat for society. When everybody saw things happening, when things weren't going good in the Roman Empire, when their uh, army lost battle or when inflation rose up really high and the economy was not doing good and Romans were looking around for someone to blame, it was so easy to blame the Christians because they were so different from everybody else. They don't worship the Roman gods like us. They don't get with the program. Why are they so different 
They must be the reason why all these bad things are happening. So easy to blame them. And they did. And the apostles and Christian leaders had to constantly call Christians to be faithful in the face of all of that pressure and persecution. Christian leaders constantly had to call Christians to come back when they started to drift away from God and follow some of the corrupt practices of people around them. I mean, when your brother's doing it and your sister's doing it and your mom and your dad are doing it, it's just so much easier to do it too. The pressure from society around them was intense. And the New Testament is full of calls from church leaders for Christians to remain faithful and not succumb to the temptation to get ahead in the world by compromising faithfulness to God or to avoid persecution. Unfortunately, some Christians did turn away from Christ in favor of the world, either to avoid persecution or in order to gain worldly treasures. What a tragedy. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Christians today have a similar dilemma. The temptation to be like everyone else is so strong. There is a lot of social pressure. No one wants to be disliked because you refuse to act like everyone else. And remaining true to Christian values can even limit your business opportunities. I mean, you think about June, Pride Month. How many commercials did you see? How many businesses did you see that jump on the bandwagon in America? Now, interestingly, they don't do that in Pakistan, because it doesn't benefit them in Pakistan. But what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? It's tricky. It's tricky business living in Babylon. I want to give you three bits of practical advice I think can help. Number one, first and foremost, you've just got to go ahead and make peace with this. This world is not your home. I know there's a lot of great things in this world. There's wonderful pleasures, wonderful things to experience. And in America, we get to experience them and enjoy them in ways that people in most of the world do not. And it's a blessing in many ways that we get to but we cannot become so comfortable. We cannot fall in love with those things so much that we start to think somehow that, that this is what it's all about and that this is our home. And along with that, for Americans, I think, for us here sitting in this congregation to understand that America is not our home either. Now, you can be a proud American and you, can, and you can do what your very best to make this country all that it can be and the best that it can be. But don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that America is your home. Because it won't be here one day. 
And Paul says in first Peter, or Peter says in first Peter two eleven, he says, you are temporary residents and foreigners. Now think about that. My fellow Americans, you are foreigners living here. Your citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And you can say the pledge to allegiance to the American flag, but don't ever forget that your allegiance to God comes first or else you have a severe spiritual problem. Second, be faithful and obedient to God above all else. It's very simple, but sometimes it's hard to do. There's pressure from all different directions. Pressure from friends and family, from society. Pressure, business pressure. Pressure from the desire to enjoy the blessings of this world. But we have to be willing to sacrifice all of it for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Understand that there are Christians that are doing that right now in different parts of the world. Are we any better than them? Third, and this is tricky because sometimes we're okay with one and two and that we're so okay with one and two that can, we can be really mean about it. <laughs> Because we're so strong and so firm in our convictions that we don't treat people the way they should be treated. But we have to be gracious with our unbelieving neighbors. How would Jesus treat them? Jesus was a master of speaking the truth in love. Because there's a way of speaking the truth, right, that, that, that uh, offers absolutely no love. <laughs> you may be right, but I don't care because, <laughs> because you, the way you say it to me tells me that you really don't care about me. And we have to be able to speak the truth in love because... That's what Jesus did. He left the glory of heaven and laid down his life, not for good people, but for people who weren't good. And that's how he changed the world. And he calls his followers to do the same. To love people so much that it hurts. But to also tell them the truth. You know, one of the most unloving things you can do sometimes is withhold the truth. You act like you're loving and you're being kind, but you don't speak the truth. You just let people go right along doing what they're doing without any warning at all and they walk right off a cliff. How nice is that? <laughs> How loving is that? Not loving at all. Jesus always balanced the two. So that people knew that he cared deeply for them. 
He was going to tell them the truth, not because he wanted to show them how wrong they were and how right he was, but because he loved them. And that's what we are called to do as well. And so today I want to call you to turn away from the world and to turn to Christ. He said, leave behind your life of sin. Put down those burdens and take up my yoke. For my yoke fits you perfectly. And I'm gentle. So I call you today to follow Christ. Would you?